Well, this is Saunders Golubal um, from uh, Moron Police, and you're here with uh, Sonic Perspectives. This month, including new albums from brands with the initials MP, Magic Pie is one and the other is Moron Police. Their third album, A Boat on the Sea, is out on the 16th, and it features a variety of styles and sounds highlighted by some excellent musicianship and intriguing lyrics. I'm Mark Boardman, contributor to Sonic Perspectives, and I'm talking with Sandra Skalaval, the man who is Moron Police. I don't know if that means he's the moron or the police, but he is a multi-instrumentalist, singer, composer, writer, arranger, and head crazy man of this self-styled weird band from Norway. Sandra, welcome to Sonic Perspectives. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. The first question that everybody hit me with when I mentioned I was talking to you, where the heck did that name come from? Moron Police. Uh, well, it's it's a juvenile name, I guess. It was uh, me and the drummer. We basically grew up together, and at some point we were we there was a sort of like a military depot sale thingy, and they sold these helmets with an MP on it, right, for military police. Right. And they were cheap, so we bought one or two. And for some reason, uh, yeah, a friend of ours were was working at a gas station, and we sort of stormed in there and just shouted, "Watch out! It's the Moron Police!" And it sort of just stuck. It's it's not a great name, but it's the one we went for, and we sort of can't not can't change it now. And it's grown on me uh, as well. It's 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 fine. Now I think I've seen one of those helmets being worn in a video, haven't I? Yeah, we yeah those exact helmets that we bought. We used to wear them a lot, but uh, at the time I had hair. I'm bald now, uh, and it would get really really hot because of I had a lot of hair, and so we would ditch them after a while. Also, it made us look like well, uh, a male reproduction organ. <laughs> so that's one of the other reasons we dropped them. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to look like that on stage. It's certainly not too alluring. No, no. I also, I also always wear a, wore a kilt live, and you know, I used to go, used to not have anything under there. But we jump around on stage a lot, and that was also, you know, you don't wanna, you don't wanna show too much. Enough. But what have you gone to? Just a basic, I'll wear my, uh, my jeans and my t-shirt look now. Uh, no, right now we're doing like sort of a, a Hawaiian look, almost like a Californian uh, beach bum sort of thing, like Californian shirts and shorts. Uh, we we still jump around a lot, so it gets really hot. So you need that ventilation to get it. Sure, uh, the Norwegian beach boys. I can see it now. Hey, I'm from the south. There's beautiful weather and there's long beaches and you you name it, we got it. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. So how did the band originally come together? Well, it was sort of a, I had an older band when I was like 14 until 16, about there, called uh, Skyblazer, uh, which was a cheesy name, 
but uh, uh, called it was called that because of a Super Nintendo game where I really loved the game music when I was a kid, still do. Uh, and when that sort of pewtered out, uh, I made all of these songs that were a lot heavier. And um, well, me and the drummer, we sort of like we want to do this, and we had an. I played in another band called Jucht, which means deer. And the guy who made that those songs op- offered to join as a bassist. And uh, that's sort of how it started. It was just for fun, really. We started playing some gigs uh, and just in a very small town where we we're from, very small. And people seemed to like it. So we just, you know, continued doing it. How did you get from that point, though, of sort of just a garage band playing for fun, doing some gigs, to say putting out that first uh the first album the propaganda machine well basically just doing that just doing gigs um, mostly around like local towns christian sam which is the nearest like big town uh for us and sort of like creating a buzz and uh, always and also because i've done recording since i was a kid i really like recording stuff i can't make it sound very well but it gives me i like hearing the songs that i make record it and so the dream was always just I, I gotta record my songs professionally and uh so that was sort of the motivation to get it out there i never thought it would like anybody would really like it but there were some people who liked it uh we, we did play with an orchestra in christian sound that was cool mm-hmm. so they liked it that was nice are you hearing any clacking because the the, the, uh, the the vocalist in major parkinson is in there playing keyboards like a madman no i'm so, not really hearing that Oh, that's great. That's great. So uh, early on, you must have been doing more than just covers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I've, I've been writing songs since I've been about, since I was about 12. And so the reason we started More and Please is because really was, these songs didn't fit with the other band, right? They were a lot heavier. Uh, but we did do some covers, but we never really did. Like, we're, we're never a cover band. I've never been on a cover band. I played covers. We used to play, uh, uh, well, a South Park song called uh, the one about the chocolate salty balls. <laughs> yep, sure. Yeah, we did that one. Uh, we did some other stuff. We did some Norwegian folk songs at some point as well. Uh, but yeah, it was just, I've never been a cover song kind of guy. Sometimes we do, but it's never been like my calling. Mm-hmm. I, I play in such a weird tuning on my guitar that I can't I can't play blues with like a band or jam out with other people. I can only play in one tuning at a time because it's an open C and it's, it doesn't really work well with yeah. other people unless it's your own compositions. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So, so who were your influences when you started off? Um... Well, I was uh, I was listening to a lot of power metal, really. I was a huge, or still am, a huge fan of power metal. I was then I discovered Dream Theater, and I was sort of ashamed for liking power metal. But now I'm sort of back at I fucking love power metal. Surface wearing, um, but I've never really. I don't really know who my influences are. I, I, usually, I will say uh, Nobeo Uematsu, Hiroki Kikuta, David Wise. And uh, Kui Kundu, who are all gay music composers. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, there there does seem to be that influence. But when I usually say that, people just, uh, who are those people? Yeah. A, a lot of people told us we sounded like, like Primus, or, and I've never listened to Primus. Now I have a little bit, but it was no, never before, really. And there were some Faith No More things, which is my the least favorite project of, that I have of my, my patent. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, also, Mr. Bungle, but I still I hadn't heard Mr. Bungle either. But then I heard Mr. Bungle, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but when it comes to influences, it's it's hard. I mean, there's definitely bands that I've heard uh, and listened to have influenced me somehow, but it's more unconsciously. I think mm-hmm. when I write songs, I don't sit down and say, "Okay, I'm going to write a song that sounds like this and this." They just sort of fall from the sky. And, sure. Yeah. Uh, some people, and I agreed with them, told me when they listened to some of your stuff, they heard some Frank Zappa influences. Have you ever listened to much of Frank? I have now. <laughs> uh, at, the, at the time, I had definitely heard some Frank Zappa, but it was too weird for me. I, 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 it was just, I like Bobby Brown and that sort of stuff. And yeah. Peaches and Legala. My dad had a like uh the strictly commercial sort of cd had like a best of sort of that mm-hmm. which is more you know listenable and i like that but uh no i hadn't heard much frank zappa especially not like the weird stuff which is most of it i guess uh, yeah but now, now i'm a huge frank zappa fan mm-hmm. uh, mostly like the apostrophe and one size fits all that that sort of thing sure some some stuff on shake your booty and all that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Frank Zappa is uh, it's wonderful when people hear that. That's more than a compliment to me. I mean, that's great. So when, happy. how old were you when the Propaganda Machine came out? Like my memory is not very good. <laughs> uh, it came out in 2012. Yeah. And I'm 30 now. So, and I'm also very bad at math. Let me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think that would, that would make you 23. 23. Yes, that's what Lars says in New York. So that, that's probably right. Uh, so I was 23. And that means I, I think I wrote most of those songs when I was between 18, 17 to 20, maybe. Mm-hmm. It took a long time because it's expensive to record and we didn't have any money. and We, we were not really working, you know, so we couldn't really pay for it ourselves. So it was a slow process. Uh, and also there was a year uh, delay because... The initial mixes were terrible. The, the album doesn't sound that great now, but it was a hell of a lot better than it was. Okay. So there was an added year there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, some of the song titles. Um, I was going to say they, they're sort of sophomoric in a way, which I guess they, they sort of are. There's, it's an attempt to, to be funny and shocky and uh, a whole lot yeah. of different stuff. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, you're talking about the, the song title specifically or the lyrics? Yeah, I mean, like Charlie's Enormous Mouth and Omnivorous Sexosaurus and Who's That Chicken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I usually say that, like, for example, Who's That Chicken? It's, uh, I had an aunt uh, who's dead now. Um, she had, uh, my, my grandmother gave birth to her when she had, uh, is this the measles, right? Yes. And so she was born deaf, and uh, she had some mental issues and stuff like that. And it was sort of uh, about how the mental health system in Norway had treated her, which was not necessarily with a lot of respect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was 16, 17, I didn't really know how to form sort of that anger that whatever I felt in like a very uh, cohesive way. That was always sort of my intention with that song. Mm-hmm. Charlie's Enormous Mouth, I don't really know where that came from. Of course, it's a Frank Zappa song. Yep. So I think maybe it was the bassist, who was, uh, who is, the other bassist, who was a, was a lot older than us. And he was a big Zappa fan. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, I would assume he came up with it. The lyrics are about suicide, again, yep. which has happened uh, a lot in 
my family and my, you know, friends and stuff like that. Uh, so Charlie's enormous mouth is a reference to a gun, right? Called Charlie, and it's the, you know, the mouth of the gun, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like sort of endearing to the person singing the song, and more and more endearing as the song goes on. Mm-hmm. So it, there are thoughts behind these lyrics, uh, but I, I've used a lot of metaphors that I only that I, that only I get. And so, you know, I'm not making it easy for anybody else to sort of like, oh, that's what he's singing about. Yeah, I was, so I don't blame people for thinking it's just gibberish. Right. Although in a couple of cases, maybe it is just gibberish. Uh, yeah, yeah. It does happen. I mean, sort of like the, the vocal scatting. And right. for example, it's in his mouth. Yeah, that's just, that's just what feels right. So, yeah. Uh, you mentioned a couple of the topics that are there, and we've uh, a couple of other songs. You talk about uh, Norway uh, making military weapons, shipping out lots of military weapons. There are other topics. Are you an angry guy? No, no, not at all. Uh, I've had more politi- politically uh, inclined periods of my life, and but generally, I'm a pretty mellow dude. Uh, the music I make are often comes out really happy, even though I'm could be angry about some certain things. When it comes to the the, the thing with Norway, I just think it's sort of hypocritical that we're known as this sort of I don't know peaceful country tries to broker peace between everybody, and at the same time we're producing all these guns and especially drones. And of course, Norway's defense of that is that we don't. Actually, there's a drone factory right next to where I live. I was really surprised to know that. Uh, but we don't sell armored drones. We sell all the parts, mm. especially to, to the United States. And the United States then puts the guns on them and then use them in of wherever course. they are. And so it's just, I was surprised to find out, uh, to find that out. And, uh, yeah, of course I'm not. I can't really change it, so I'm not like angry about it. But it sort of pisses me off. Of course it does. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem right, but you know, what can you do? You're just a stupid musician in a band called Moron Police. So well, I don't I mean, know. That gives you a voice. That's, yeah, that's a voice. That's, that's something. One that uh, certainly some people are going to listen to, even if they can't figure out all the metaphors. I think that one, uh, if you're talking about the song Blue Skies, especially, yes. that one's not that obscure, I would say. No. I think, especially with the last part, I think you can piece together what that one's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the earlier songs, especially from the Propaganda Machine, maybe even Defenders, are more obscure, even though their intentions are there. And I, I think maybe with the new album, I maybe dialed it back a little bit, just because, like, well, it's nice to have something to say, but maybe you should just, like, say it. Mm-hmm. And Pack it in to make it sound like hypro or something when it's really not. It's a simple sure. message. I don't know. I I can't really remember my thought process at the time. It's been a while. Well, you mentioned that um, the second album, Defenders, came out in what 2014. So it was a couple of years after the first album came out. Yeah. And you can certainly hear the difference uh, from a production sound point. It's a lot bigger. Uh, well. Right. There's still metal. It's almost an arena metal sound to it. It's much wider and bigger and jumps out and hits you harder, I think. It's more guitars. Uh, yeah. That one, uh, it, it was, uh, the guy who mixed it, I, I mixed it with him. Um, 
he's now the basis of Mormon police. He's a good friend of, of ours. And uh, so we wanted to do it ourselves because of budget and stuff like that, but also because he's a great guy and he knows what he's doing. Um, but so we just like went the extra mile. We recorded the drums very well in a like, good studio, and then we did the rest ourselves from everything from tracking and guitars and all that. Uh, but we had good equipment. Um, and we quad-tracked the guitars as opposed to the first album where it's just two guitars, one left, one right. On Defenders, it's four guitars playing the same thing of every heavy riff, and it's uh, and all the sounds are really, really heavy and combined. It sounds devastating. It does, very yeah, much. Maybe a bit too much. We we might have gone a little bit overboard on the on the drums as well. We just really wanted it to sound like powerful. And listening back, I, I really like the sound of that album, but listening back, it's like, oh, we might have gone a little bit overboard here and there. The song <laughs> Steve Jobs is dead, but I'm not is especially yeah. brutal. Uh, uh, yeah, a bit. But I, I would say that obviously you had tried to take what you had on the first album and do something a bit more. Sometimes yeah. you have to take it a little bit too far. It's it's like uh, it's more of everything except for the song California, which like which is a <laughs> slow acoustic thing. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's more of everything, really. There's John coming over there. He's gonna get a beer. He's in a very he's in a creative mood. Obviously. <laughs> I don't know. You probably have some uh, listeners who are fans of Major Parkinson, and he's doing new stuff for the new album, and he's in a very creative mood right now. Good. Another beer for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So I have to ask you about Teabag, your grandma. Where'd that come from? Well, um, let's see. Well, it, the song is, I think the title was just to be shocking. I'll be uh, honest about that. Uh, just to make somebody like notice it, really. Just to say, oh, what the heck is this? And then they hear it like, oh, this is good. Hopefully. Uh, but the lyrics were about uh, sex addi- uh, addiction and sort of the desensitized. I can't say that word in English. Can you can you help it? De- desensitization? No, God. Yeah, that's hard. close. That's close enough. It's enough. As close as you were with my name. Yes. Uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> it was written during the advent of uh, of streaming, right? So yes. pornography went from being magazines and VHS and all that into uh, two clicks away on a computer or anything and it was sort of about how you start out watching like regular pornography and just as it's so easily available more and more weirder stuff you get more and more distance from just like regular sex right Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and i saw that like with my nephews like remember when I was a kid, and of course we watched pornography, but it was like it was never like this. This is this is going place. This is weird. This is not good. And so it was a song about that. That was the intention, at least. I mean, I'm not sure that really comes through the lyrics. That that was the intention, but when I wrote the lyrics, I sort of go on a tangent, and I like this better. But I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, it, you you get sort of interested by uh, information, etc that is now projected over the internet and through other communication systems because the the Phantom Below from the mm-hmm. new album also sort of gets at that from a different direction. Yeah, it does. Uh, that was inspired by a, a book 
called The Silent Revolution by an author called Mercedes Bunz, which I believe is German. Yeah. And it was uh, it was basically like the, I can't remember everything about it, but the main message was that like artificial intelligence and just mm, robots and stuff, it's not really their fault that they shouldn't be seen as that scary because like a, a machine doesn't care if it works two hours a day or 24 hours a day. The, the person that decides that it works 24 hours a day and makes you lose your job is the guy owning the machine, right? Right. So it's sort of about that and sort of like this technology is going to take over everything uh, as we go along here. But we, we're the ones that are choosing to like not live in harmony with it. Mm-hmm. Sort of like it, it's, it's basically that around there somewhere course we don't live in harmony with each other how can we expect to live in harmony with the machines either well that's a good point i mean look to yourself first before you look to others uh yeah yeah i mean we'll see what happens well if, if the robots take over like oh okay yeah I mean, yeah I, mean, I think i read that book <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so why did it take five years to go from that to a boat on the sea well um there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, uh, it's monetary issues. I mean, budgeting, uh, just, mm, just finding the songs for the album. It's uh, life. I was living in Falsun, my hometown, uh, during that period. And um, I, I moved to Kristiansand first, studying there. And then I moved to Bergen, uh, studying here. And we were so separated, it was hard to get. Like, I, I've been used to rehearsing with my band, like, two times a week. Now we're so spread out, like, just to give you an inclination, Bergen is about seven hours from Falsun. Ah, uh-huh. And uh, the other guys were there. Then we got the new bassist, he's in Oslo. He was actually north of Oslo. It was 12 hours for him to get to Bergen. You have to remember, Norway is an extremely long country. Yes. Uh, and it's uh, we don't have fast trains either. They're, they're wonderful, but they're very slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just lo- logistics, right? Uh, and also I demo all the songs, but I really wanted to play them with the band before we recorded them because usually a lot of new cool stuff shows up, right? You know, you don't, don't want to just go into a studio, ba- studio based on demos. That can mm-hmm. be a little safeless. It would sound maybe too much like me or too much like me and Lars because he does a lot of the keyboards. Right. So oh. that's him back there. And so it was nice to just try him in a, in a band setting, right? And that really helped the songs. Uh, but at the same time, it was hard to organize that. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's also expensive to get everybody here. Uh, well, we, we rehearsed in this space where, you, where, where we're now in the other room here where the, the vocalist and Major Park and it's going crazy. Uh, so basically just a, just just a mixture of life and, you know, needing to get an education or just something because you would you're starting to see that streaming is not going to be the savior of the music industry as you would like it to be, not in any way. And uh, I, I don't I don't like that, but I don't have a problem with it. And I'm just, you know, well, I can't live off of this music, so I need to do something to sort of secure myself a little sure. bit. You know? Absolutely. So, so I took a bachelor's, right? So that was three years right there. Mm-hmm. And then we did some live gigs. But yeah, so it, it took time. I'm very happy with the result. Well, you should be. It's a, it is a great album, and Thanks. it is a different album. Uh, you can certainly hear a significant difference between this one and the previous two. Just from my impressions, the guitars are not up front 
nearly so much. No. The, the <laughs> titles and the language are not up in your face nearly so much. And uh, Lars is way out there in front. Yes, he uh, is. The keyboards take a very prominent position in establishing the environment. It does. You want to say anything about that, Lars? Go ahead, Lars. Yeah. What, what do you want to know about them? Um, well, first of all, you came on just for this album? No, it was sort of uh, what Sondra just talked about, life happening. Sondra moved to Bergen, and we sort of just started playing together, mm-hmm. naturally. And we did, like, a lot of demoing on basically in in Sondra's apartment. And I just tagged along on the keyboards, and suddenly I was part of the band. And suddenly I was a major part of the band. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, so. a major part of the band, because the guitars got mixed way down, relatively speaking, and the keyboards are right up front. Yeah, it was, it's very easy to record a lot of synths and keyboards these days, so that's part of the reason, I guess. It fits the music. Mm-hmm. So, do the original songs have a, a different sound to them in your head, as opposed to when Lars then came on to add the keyboards? Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I do play keyboards myself. I'm not nearly as good as this guy, but I, I will, when I demo songs, I will add keyboards to them. And not because I'm used to that and this was before he sort of like joined really in so I would do that automatically so I had little themes little things that wanted to be there but I after a while I really understood that I was sort of like underusing him because he's really good and it was just and I started giving more space to it and he also has sort of a a problem when you're doing a lot of your own stuff and you're demoing it, it can be too much you. Mm-hmm. And it's very nice to have other influences. He has a very different way of playing keyboards than I have. Different way of doing chords, melodies, and all that stuff. And so when he added his stuff, I really like where that took the songs. It gave them another, like, sort of a feeling, a dimension, or something about them, which made me like them a lot more. Uh, but so yeah, I had some on some songs. Yeah, I had some ideas. I put on some keyboards, but generally, I like to give uh, give him just free reins. Mm-hmm. He'll just play around, and I'll maybe say, "Oh, th- there's something over there," and we'll work a little bit on that. Same with the bassist. I have, I record the bass right, so I have little lines they like. But generally, I like to tell him just go crazy, just do whatever you feel like, mm-hmm. and it's never really not worked. It always ends up great or at least in my mind it's like yes this is awesome do that mm-hmm. more <laughs> so yeah but the reason for uh, for the the keyboards being so loud it's not i'm very happy with that decision but it wasn't my decision really it was the guy who makes the album uh mike watts who also does uh, the deer hunter right so we went down to new york and uh or to Jeff- port jefferson and mixed it with him and he was just like these keyboards are great they're going up. The guitars. Yeah, I don't like them too much. They're going down. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't want to be like the typical guitar player, like, oh, my solo's too low. Let's get it. Let's get it higher. And I was just, yeah, this sounds good. I'm okay with it. I mean, as long as it services the song. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I try to leave as as a. I've been a solo guitarist for the majority of my life, and there's a certain ego that goes along with that. And you sort of have to learn to, like, you're not, this is not important. If it doesn't serve the song, just get it out of there. Get it low. 
course, that, that's where the, the guitarist part of you can be in conflict with the composer part of you. What are you going to serve, the guitar or the song? I think for me, as I've, I've, I've recorded so much myself during the years, making demos and stuff like that, also make, uh, mixing some stuff, but I think I learned relatively early on that, you know, maybe keep the guitars down and everything else sounds better. Just swallow that pill and just this does actually sound better. So I think maybe I'm sure other people will agree with that. Like if you if you're just a solo guitarist and you don't know anything about recording, you go into a studio, you want to play your solo, you want to play your guitars, you want to hear them afterwards and want them to be the focus, right? Uh, then I think it's harder to swallow that when they mix it down. Mm-hmm. But uh, but generally, just as long as it sounds good, and I'm very happy with how it sounds. Mm-hmm. So it, it's uh, interesting because <clears throat> playing this for a couple of other people, they said, "Well, the the first two albums, there's a, a, a somewhat proggy aspect to it within the metal, but now that the keyboards are more up front, there's a lot more prog feel to the whole yeah. thing. I mean, that's what it does. So like, you know, when you put a lot of keyboards in there, it gets a little proggy feel. There's a lot of time signature changes. There's some, there's a lot of like recurring themes going on. I was going to say, they're, the musically, uh, even though they're separate songs, you have certain musical themes that pop up again and again. Yeah, there's a lot of those, uh, both in chord usage and melodies and riffs, like sort of like a foreshadowing, that's the word. Mm-hmm. Foreshadowing what's happening. Uh, the first song, Hocus Pocus, uh, the chords there, all of those chords, the first chords are the beginning chords of Isn't It Easy, the last song. The last chords on Hope's Focus is the last, well, almost last part of Isn't It Easy, stuff like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also in Phantom Below, the main melody, it comes again in uh, in The Invisible King. It's on the quiet part. There's a little glockenspiel playing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm a big prog nerd, so, you know, it, but I'm not really that good at making prog, but I like to put some stuff in there. So I, I assume you did some of that intentionally, put those themes in there to re- revisit at yeah. points. Definitely did that. That's his thing. That's sort of my thing. I, I'm, it has become my thing, I guess. It's just sort of that. That's probably an influence from the prog. We're talking about influences. Uh, definitely that aspect of it, both from classical music and from prog, the, the late motifs, as they call them. Oh, yes, absolutely. That's sort of, uh, that's become a thing. I like, well, that. I like the book opener, book closure thing of yeah, the album. Yeah, sure. Um, when I listened to it and went through some of the, the lyrics in it, it's, as I think you referred to, it's a bit more understandable. It's uh, The metaphors are not quite as obscure. You can no. get the language and say, ah, this is what he's referring to. Uh, and I, I guess maybe it's because the music isn't so sharp, but no. you, you don't sound quite as angry in this. It's just sort of... Uh, concerning, I guess. Yeah, there's a reason for that, uh, maybe, I think. It's because I changed my vocal style uh, a bit. Uh, I've never been very a very good vocalist. Uh, I was always told that I sort of sucked, but I just it just felt weird to have other people singing my songs. I tried it a couple of times, and it was just, ugh. 
But uh, I used to sing with a lot of belting technique is what it's called, I've heard now. Yeah. Uh, which is like the, uh, the rasping thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you come off as come off as more angry. Uh, but then, so in California, I found out. Wait, wait a minute! I can actually sing with a clean voice. That's nice, and it doesn't rip my vocal cords apart. So I started doing that more, and I got a lot better at it as I went along. So it just it's just more comfortable to sing as that, as well as it's easier to convey different types of emotion. I mean, if you're just singing with a belting technique, it's generally just like maybe one or two emotions you can get out of that. Yeah. So that's definitely part of it. Also, I'm older and all that. I'm not old, but I'm older. Not, I don't have that teenage angst or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, not that angry at society and all that stuff, which is also sort of weird when you live in Norway and I live in a grew up in a very very beautiful town. Um, I'm gonna name drop it. It's Fossen. Mm-hmm. Uh, just Google Google Fossen, you will be amazed. All right. Uh, I had a very nice upbringing, so it's hard to sort of like find the anger in things right you can find anger in like political stuff and stuff happening in the usa right but i'm in norway so it's you know well can't can't you find anger any place there's always something going wrong we got enough of ignorant people around here as well don't don't you worry about that Mm. Uh, no matter where you go just just how it is so one of the recurring lyrical themes or things that you keep referring back to seems to be religion. Yeah, that, that's sort of um, I thought about that a lot uh, because I'm not religious per se. I'm sort of a, I, I like the idea of spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't really describe it. I, I do think religion is should be a very personal thing. I'm not a fan of organized religion. I come from basically what you would call the Bible Belt in Norway. Lutheran. Uh, yeah, Lutheran. Lutheran. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the place where I grew up, it has a church, uh, but it's not that religious, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of people from the neighboring towns, which which is which are where and are in a very short distance, are very religious. Mm-hmm. So I've been exposed to it a lot, and I just never liked it. Uh, the whole concept of God, it just didn't seem like, a, like I've, I've read the Bible, I've read it a, a bunch of times actually, and especially the Old Testament, he does not seem like a nice dude, and um, I just, I didn't see why people would like this person, he just seemed not like a nice person to me. Even in like the New Testament, I, I do like, I think Jesus was a pretty pretty awesome dude, I gotta say, I mean, I, we're, we're a socialist democracy, and yeah. That's not the same as socialism. Let's be honest no, no, here. No. Uh, but but Jesus has a lot of things going for him that reminds us of the social democracy that we have in Norway. I like them. I like them. I just wish he wouldn't have said that everything that comes before uh, still uh, is still relevant today. Is still is still the truth, like the Old Testament, all that stuff. It's like, well, uh, yeah, no, please, no. But I've had a lot of exposure to religion from an early age, and so naturally I think I made a lot of songs about it. Uh, I'm not an atheist. I wouldn't call me an atheist. That would be weird, but I'm not really sure what I am. Mm-hmm. Definitely not, uh, cannot attribute myself to any sort of major religion in the world. I'll definitely say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there I'm wasn't not... anything specific leading up to this particular album that piqued your well, interest or somehow got you the there, wrong way there was one thing I, uh, well not really one specific thing I remember oh wait actually there was one thing um, a long time ago I have 
I have friends who are half American and I have a lot of family in America as well, but I was visiting with them in Tennessee and I met their sister actually. And we sort of had a little thing and she was from a very Christian family. Mm-hmm. I was not Christian. And I remember her uncle sort of, I asked him like, what do you think about me? Do you think I'm a nice guy? He's like, yeah, you're a great guy, but do you think I'm going to burn in hell? like yeah you're not religious so i mean the word is there for you to find but you're yeah right now yeah you're gonna burn in hell and it's sort of i couldn't see how uh, a benevolent god would sanction that right you have a person who is christian and a person who's not who love each other for example and they can live their entire lives completely sinless but the one guy isn't christian so he's going to hell while the other one goes to heaven and that's, that just really rubbed me the wrong way. So I was thinking about making a concept album on that. Mm-hmm. And some of the songs, it's like the song Invisible King, is sort of like a, I didn't do it, but I was like in the process of doing it. And some of the songs sort of carried over. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it didn't end up as a concept album, but there's some like sort of, you know, artifacts from that. Mm-hmm. Invisible King, you mentioned at one point, uh, You'd written actually many years ago with somebody, but it hadn't fit into a, a moron album until until you got to this one. Yeah, it's not because of like a religious thing. It's just because we have the song down at the disco where I sing about Jesus mm-hmm. uh, and his willingness to marry me. But um, it was it was just an old song that I made with a friend of mine. Where we he sings in another band I have called Boys of Battle, which is a which is a power metal parody band. Uh, very silly. Um, but it was just that the lyrics came afterwards. The lyrics that are on the album now is not the lyrics that were on the original song. There were there was there's some similarities, but it was just a. It just didn't fit until now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty meticulous when it comes to putting up like the flow of albums, probably because of all the prog I've listened to. So I like, I like that it's sequenced well t- together. I like listening to an album, not just songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the song can be more, can become better in the context of the other songs around. And, sure. No. Mm-hmm. So um, you must read a fair amount. Because you refer, referred to the, the Bunt's book a little while yeah. ago, reading yeah. the Bible, uh, Hocus Pocus is related to Kurt Vonnegut. That's right. That's, that's right. My favorite Kurt Vonnegut uh, book. Uh, actually, both me and Lars back here, we work at a library. So. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, we're not educated. like we, we don't have a librarian education or whatever you call that, but we both work at libraries. I work in the, uh, the library at a prison, high security prison. I also worked at the main library where he works. Mm-hmm. So we get a lot of opportunities to read. I've always been more of like a fantasy dude growing up with Lord of the Rings and all that sort of stuff. Sure. But I, I read other stuff. Kurt Vonnegut, Vonnegut is a personal favorite. Really like Hocus Pocus. That's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. And- so yeah, I try to read a lot. And that obviously gives you some ideas here and there that you might be able to explore in music. Yeah, uh, from from that book, uh, focus. I don't remember the quote exactly. Uh, it was something about uh, what politicians do are akin to what the B-52 bomber does. Is that you have these people piloting these things and they're dropping these bombs and they don't really see the destruction it brings. And it's sort of a parallel to politicians like passing whatever they want from lobbyists and whatever. And they don't really see the 
impact it has on society. It's a wonderful quote, but I, I should have brought it along with me. But uh, that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is also great. Be- great book. Also because, yeah, it's fantastic. Also because of the religious uh, you know, overtones on the album, there's some of those. Hocus Pocus, of course, from the Latin, right. from... What is it? You're a pastor, right? You should probably know. Is it hoc? Yeah, hoc, hoc est inim corpus meum. There you go. Yeah. So there's that part of it as well. It's only been 40 years since I took Latin, so I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. That, that was right, though. I've, I've, I've read it a couple of times. I was trying to remember it for this interview, but you got it. I did not. <laughs> I got to ask about Captain Awkward, too. Please because do. that's... That's the song that I heard first. Yeah, I must. I actually, I must have heard the dog song first. But Captain Awkward really jumped out at me. Um, that is a pop song with so many different aspects to it, including a bit of Zappa, including a little bit of video game, including uh, some mellow balladry in the middle, um, and yet it all works. It really works. It's great. We're as surprised about that as, as anyone. We tried to make a radio edit of that song. We really oh. tried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, me and uh, me and the manager, we he's he's good at that stuff as well. We tried like editing things together, putting things out, just to make it shorter for like maybe we could get some radio play. But it was just whenever you take anything out of that song, it just falls to pieces. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how it got that uh, to work, but it just does. And it was not really. It, it wasn't like usually when you write a song. Sometimes it'll just fall into your lap, just from from the heavens. Other times you get a little part of it, and then some of the, sometime later you get another part, and you just oh these things fit together. But that song just fell out of the sky, except for one part which me and Lars did here, which yeah. is the Balkan uh, Umpa thingy, yeah. which we the, made the video, the video game part. The video game part, which right. we made for an, another project that we had, and we was like, well, this fits here. Let's put it in there. Uh, but yeah, I I don't really know what to say about that song. It just works somehow you said that this was another one of those songs that took years to to sort of germinate and come to fruition yeah i mean i had i had a lot of demos of it but i i there were some parts like really when i say that it's just uh the umpa part the 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 game thing part and the uh the calm part the the sort of the ballady thing that wasn't there before and it was just it was basically done. It just needed just like a little bit of something, and then it came uh, after a while. As well as since the album took five years to make, that song has been ready for a long time as well. A lot of these songs have been ready to go. So have uh, have you already started looking ahead at what comes next for the band? Yes. Uh, I have no idea how we're going to do it, but it's going to be a concept album. I'm finally doing that. Really? Yeah. I always wanted to do one. What's the concept? Well, it's about a guy. Uh, I won't reveal everything, but it's about a guy who dies, go to he- goes to hell, spins a wheel of reincarnation, and is born again as a pachinko machine in Japan, Tokyo. <laughs> that's uh, that's the gist of it. That's the gist of it. Oh, uh, I like that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not I'm not sure that it can be done really yet, but so it's not like set in stone. But that's that's what we're going for. I have like it's going to be a much longer album. It's going to probably be at least an hour, I think. I'm not really a fan of like long albums, but if it's a concept album, I I think it's all right. I was going to say you can't be too much of a fan of long albums because of the three. What the longest is about thirty five minutes. 
No, Defenders is 42. Is I it 42? Okay. Yeah, I think so. This one is 32. It's really short. Yeah, it is. But, but at the same time, it's like, like I said, I'm a huge fan of Zappa, and his, his best albums are about 32 minutes long. Yep. And those albums include gratuitous soloing from him. At least 10 minutes of that is just him playing away on that guitar. And who's going to so, tell him not to? Yeah, that's that's the thing. I I, I actually did. Uh, I actually used uh, my recording thing to to cut out a lot of his solos because I, I I just I'm not a fan of. I, I think he's a great guitar player. I just I just like the songs better. Mm-hmm. It always annoys me because like his band is so good, whatever kind of band he has, and they play all this intricate stuff. But the minute he starts playing a solo, the band just plays rhythm and blues. And yeah, that's it. Sure. And that just like no, come on. If he was playing solos over like very intricate stuff, I was like, yes, this is awesome. But he, he does that sometimes. But a, a song like Montana, it's a great song, but it has this way too long solo in it. So I just cut it out and just glued it together. Like, oh, this is better for me. <laughs> I've never met another Sapa fan who agrees with me. Never, never. And that's fine. I don't mind. It's just that's that's the way I like my Zappa. Well, and if you've got the ability to cut and paste things together your own way, who's to know? Yeah. So yeah, but that's like one I I do like short albums, and and there's also something to be said for the streaming age, right? Where if you have say one album that's an hour long and there's two songs that are thirty minutes from a streaming royalty point of view, well, not that there's basically anything to get there anyway, you'll get a lot less. Yeah. I also like the feeling of like, you know, leave the people wanting more maybe. And, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, that's this was great. I want to listen to it again. If you listen to say like Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, that's an undertaking. When yes. you're done with that album, you don't feel like, oh, I'm going to put it on again. I'm like, that's, <laughs> wow, that was great. That's enough. <laughs> Like any album of albums of yes, like if you put on Relayer, man, when you're done with that, you need a break Maybe for at least a sick. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's maybe unconsciously I've I've been thinking about that maybe a little bit. When yeah. you uh, get this thing out this week, yeah, will you be doing any live gigs? No, uh, it's impossible to do. We did uh, we did two now in the summer like in, in Falsen my hometown and around the area there but I got a throat infection so we had to cancel one actually in my hometown which was really uh, that sucked uh, but generally it's just it's just hard for us to do live gigs again Norway is a very very long country it's hard to get people together it's expensive uh, just to drive on the, the, the road and uh, you know all, all kinds of things so you have to rent a car you have to pay like I don't know what you call it road taxes yeah tolls tolls tolls, tolls. Mm-hmm. tolls everywhere and it's just it's hard to turn a profit off doing it and it's it's fine to it's fine to uh, and it's it's nice to play concerts for people who like your music and I want to do that and we want to do that but it's also hard to justify economically right because we're not rich and we need to work to, to pay the bills and stuff like that and also we, have, we haven't had a manager until now and so he's not been doing booking but he's taking over that so some stuff might be happening mm-hmm. so uh, we would, I'd love to play these songs like wherever the people would want us we, we would gladly be there it's just a matter of economics right have you actually played Captain Awkward live I think so have we 
We have rehearsed with it, but we haven't. No. We, okay, so we, we, we've rehearsed it, but we haven't actually played it live. But it's no problem to play it live. Right? Mm -hmm. It sounds, sounds good. Um, of course, we don't do as much like we, we don't use overdubs. We like to like play it as it is, and it, you get like more of a live feel as well. Oh, sure. So, but, so that like the harmonies on the vocals are we're, we're working a little bit on that, but it doesn't seem like it's that necessary. And you have you have live is one thing and the album is another. But we haven't done that. But we've done Phantom, we've done Dog Song, we've done Invisible King, Blue Skies, and I, I think we did Isn't It Easy once. Yeah, I think so. We did Isn't It Easy once. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're able to do them. We just haven't had the chance to do them a lot just yet. The economics of the modern rock era really sort of hit everybody, especially you guys, obviously, with the, the distance you've got between each other in Norway. Yeah, yeah, it, it's been it, it's been hard. Uh, well, it, well, that that's sort of disingenuous. It's not really been hard because it never was easy. We grew up, or I grew up. I'm a bit younger than the Lars here. I grew up with when Napster was just getting around, right? Mm -hmm. And so that there was there was money in music, but there wasn't really that much. So I never had the, like the the disillusion that this is gonna pay my rent really, and it never has, and it probably never will. Yeah, uh, but it's just gotten a lot worse. Streaming has made it a lot, lot worse. Uh, I do like, as a consumer, I, I love streaming. It's wonderful to have all the music in the world at your fingertips. But from an economical point of view, it's not working out very well. You have the people who invest in Spotify, the owner Daniel Ek, making millions, but it's not being redistributed to through bands, right? No, yeah, whether it be you guys or even bands with bigger names and reputations, oh, they big. get killed too. I mean, just take uh, the other band we play in Major Parkinson, right? That's a that's a much bigger band uh, on a progressive scale. We 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 do tour internationally and stuff like that, and it's basically a zero sum project. It's 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 hard to make. We have we, we it costs a lot more to record that kind of music because it's a bit more well, it's a bit more demanding, but sure. still. It's there's not a lot of money in it, and we're seven people in that band. I mean, try to get a band going that plays Prague. That's seven people, and you're gonna make enough like a living wage for all those seven people. Even if you toured like 200 days a week, it might work, but you'd have to forgo your like your family and whatever. You can't. It's hard to keep that stuff up as well. So, but I've never had a problem with that. I mean, it's it's because it never was anything. There's never any other options. It's just you do it for the sake of the music and because you want to do it, not because you want to get rich. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you do it because you want to get rich, you're probably not in the right business or the music you, you make is probably not going to be that good. Yeah. Yeah. Most likely. So for people who are wanting to get the music starting on the 16th, uh, for those folks who want to get a hard copy of it, go to Bandcamp or where should they go? Well, we're not doing any hard copies yet uh, okay. because of the economics, you know, yep. the economics. Uh, but we're, we're thinking about doing a crowdfunding because we really want to do at least a vinyl of it because the, the cover art is so beautiful. I mean, mm -hmm. I just really want people to have that. So we're looking into that, and I think we're going to make that happen, but I don't know in, like, time frame for it. Hopefully not far from the release, but maybe a... But if people buy it on Bandcamp, we can... Yeah, that's the thing. If people actually buy it digitally from Bandcamp, that helps us immensely, because that will go directly to fueling a vinyl production of it. Right. Like we, don't, we don't 
take this money and go out drinking or whatever. We we keep it in the band. Uh, so we're hoping to be able to do a vinyl for it, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we all like vinyl a lot, so CD might be possible as well, but I think vinyl is the priority right now. Yeah. Because yeah. it's bigger and nicer. And the market for that actually has been increasing in the last few years, too. Definitely. I mean, uh, we've seen increased sales. We have vinyls of the first and the second album, uh, and those have been doing pretty okay. We still have a lot of them. My, my parents <laughs> my parents are pretty sick of having all those boxes. <laughs> but, you know... Uh, that's yeah, what parents are for. That's what they're for. They have to live with that. They made me. This is what they get. That's right. You get lots of vinyl to, to hold yeah. back in the garage or someplace. Yeah, that, well, it's, that's basically what happens. Me and the drummer have talked about, like, we're never going to sell these vinyls. We're going to be buried in a casket made of these vinyls. Exactly. Yep. So, yep. you know, we'll see what happens. I hope we get rid of them at some point. But uh, not holding my breath for that. Well, I appreciate your time very much. Yeah, it was very nice to talk to you. It was, uh, it was great. Sandra Scalable is the leader of Moron Police. Their new album, A Boat on the Sea, is out on August 16th. I'm Mark Boardman for the latest music news, reviews, and interviews. Check out our website at sonicperspectives.com. And as we leave, here's a cut from the album, my favorite, and it's Captain Awkward.
So hide now from phantoms down below You think you're helpless and alone But I'll stay your while But you feel frozen Your heart has turned to stone As you ride the undertow I'll see you home 